Hey, we wrapped up our series called The Art of Neighboring last weekend. Susan Garlinger did a great job doing that. You probably noticed the doors are all gone. Um, but The Art of Neighboring is still being practiced. want to encourage you through the summer. And uh, really, this is, a, this is a, uh, a mission that we are all on together, learning names of our neighbors, hearing stories, sharing our story, praying for people who don't know Christ, that they might know Christ and uh, so I just want to make sure that, uh, that you know that that's something we'll continue to talk about. But we're starting a new series called In God We Trust. Two weeks ago, as I was uh, doing my last message in that series, The Art of Neighboring, uh, when it came through the end of the weekend, 11 o'clock service, I had to sort of sneak out the side door after the service was over uh, because I was headed on a trip uh, with my family to Montana. My oldest son, Chase, uh, was getting married. He got married on July 5th. Uh, today's on his honeymoon, uh, but on that 11 o'clock service, um, I preached and then uh, just sort of snuck out the side door. I fortunately remember to give my microphone to somebody, uh, and Trina was out there on the road uh, with the van packed, waiting for me. I got in the van. We shot down the road. Actually, it felt a little bit awkward, kind of snuck down on my chair because people were coming out of church. I was leaving, uh, but we were, we were on this. It was a 10 and a half hour drive, and, um, and so, you know, when you leave around noon, noon 30, 10 and a half hours, it's going to be close to midnight before you get to the destination you want to get to. It's a pretty straight shot to where we were going to have the wedding. Um, last uh, hour and a half or so, last 150 miles, there's about three or four turns you got to make, uh, but it's a pretty straight shot. And for the first time, as we're traveling, uh, Trina and I started listening to an audio book. We'd never done that before. And man, that is a great thing. It passes the time uh, really well as you're driving on, a, on a, long, a long trip. And we were really enjoying the book. And in fact, uh, it was about 10.30 at night, and we were in that last section of, of the trip where you got to make the three or four turns, little highways to get to Lakeside, Montana, and we are really into our book. And, but I didn't want to miss the turn because my son's waiting for us at the house, um, and, uh, and so I asked Trina, she's got the map, because we're in a section of Montana where there's not great cell coverage, so I asked her, you know, okay, when do I turn left uh, on this highway? She says, it's 11 minutes. I was a little frustrated, like... Give me mileage, uh, you know, because that varies how fast you're going. And uh, so she's looking for mileage, and we're into the book, and we just keep driving. And then we get to this little town, um, and they just seem like a really obscure town I've never seen before. My son Cal is with us, and uh, Cal lived in Montana for about five months when he was uh, at the base there uh, with YWAM. Uh, there were, were actually my other son is, is currently working. And I asked him if he recognized this town, and he said, I, I think so. Of course, it was like 11.15 at night, so it's kind of dark. And uh, so we just kept driving, hoping we'd hit this highway, but we're really into the book. Um, and about 45 minutes of driving on this road, we realized, you know, I, I think we missed a turn somewhere. And so uh, we pulled the car over to the side of the road, and uh, we're trying to get our bearings. Of course, there's no cell coverage, so we're moving the car forward a little bit here and there, holding our phones in different sections of the car. And finally, we get a bar of coverage, and we realize that we are nowhere close to where we are supposed to be. We are headed east, like to, to Minnesota. Haven't got that far yet, but we're headed east, and we're supposed to be going north. And as we finally get some coverage and, you know, do the Google map thing, we realize that we've gone so far east that it's going to take about an hour to go back and hit the highway we were supposed to hit, or we can go another hour this way and hit a highway that's going north. 
And so we were like, well, just keep going east. We got a good book. Let's just roll with it. Uh, we, we were lost. We were completely lost. We got to the house late. My son wondered where we were, um, and we added some unnecessary hours uh, to our trip. Uh, we were lost. You've been there too. I know you've done it. Uh, you, you're driving. You're following directions. You get lost. Um, you know, wives right now are throwing elbows in their husband's ribs. Uh, it's happened. You've been hiking. You're on a trail. You know exactly where you were when you started, but, and you know exactly where you want to go at the end of the trip, but somewhere along the way, you got lost. Or you were in that college classroom and you were lost. Admit it. You had no idea what was going on or what you were supposed to be learning. It just wasn't, it wasn't clicking for you. You were lost. And there's lots of ways we can get lost. A couple of them are you can have a, a bad map. Someone could give you a bad map. Someone, you, know, you ask someone for directions on how to get from here to there, and they tell you, uh, here's, you know, take a left here, take a right here. You follow the map, and it's a bad map because you know, instead of taking a left, you should have taken a right, and the directions were bad. And some of you, that, you know how frustrating that is. It's, it's like, man, it's, it's the wrong directions. Or maybe you had a good map. You had a great map, and you misapplied it. You, you got creative. Uh, you, did, you, you thought you, were, you, could, you could figure a better way to get from point A to point B. Or maybe you had a good map and you just got distracted. Like, like Trina and I. You, you, you just weren't paying attention and, and you got lost. And, and by the way, there is a huge difference between getting lost and being lost. You know what I mean? You can get lost. You can be completely self-assured and self-confident and still get lost. In fact, I would say this to you, that self-assurance and confidence is no guarantee in not getting lost. It's no guarantee. Getting lost is different than than being lost. When you you understand that you are lost, finally the light comes on. You go, I... I'm not where I was supposed to be or I'm, I'm meant to go. You're, you're lost. And we can get lost in multiple arenas of life. You can be lost morally. You, you can be lost, you know, you started out in high school and uh, you, you had standards uh, in your life and, and now you're, years later, you look back to, 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 to high school and you wonder, how did I go from there to here? You, Maybe you got distracted. Maybe you, you misapplied the, the map and, and you're lost. Or maybe, you, maybe you're lost professionally. You, you went to college, got your degree. You interviewed and you killed the interview and you got hired and you're five years into this job. You're five years in this job and you're going, I, I didn't sign up for this. And, and you, you feel like you're, you're lost professionally. Or maybe you're, you're, you're lost relationally. Maybe you're, you're, you're in college and you've had several failed relationships and you, you thought you knew how to, how, to, how to date or how to engage in relationships or friendships and it just seems like that you're, you're not making friends and you feel lost there. Or maybe you're in a marriage and you're saying, we're lost. We're lost on, on, on this journey of marriage. We can get lost in multiple arenas of life. And what I want to do in these next few weeks is I want to talk to you about being lost with our finances. I want to talk about about our personal finances and how we can be completely lost when it comes to handling our resources and our money. 
In fact, there are some of you in the room, and even when I, I talk about, uh, about finances, you know, you, you're, you're already inside going, yeah, I know I'm lost. My, my financial situation is a mess. Yet there are others of you that are in the process of getting lost. You just haven't realized yet that you are lost. You, you, you're confident, you're fully confident that you're, 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 you're handling the money right, you're handling the resources right, but you are in the process of getting lost. So right from the beginning, as we enter this series in God We Trust, we need to do some self-identification to understand if we are lost or we are getting lost. So I've just got some statements here. I want to read them uh, for us, and I'll just let you uh, self-identify if, uh, if, you're, if you're financially lost. And let me just add this little caveat. Um, being lost has nothing to do, being lost financially, has nothing to do with the level of your income. You can be lost with a little bit of money, or you can be lost with a lot of money. It doesn't matter how much you make. You, you can be lost. In fact, I would say the more money you make, the better your chances are at being lost. So it, whatever your income is, you can still be lost with your, your personal finances. But here, here's a couple statements that you could do some self-identification with. If you spend more than you make in a year, you're lost. If you don't know whether or not you spend more than you make in a year, you're lost. If you don't care if you spend more than you make in a year, you are most definitely lost. If you owe more on your car than your car is worth, you're lost. If you don't know how much you owe on your car, you're lost. If paying the minimum on your credit card is a way of life for you, you're lost. Um, if, if you think paying the minimums on your credit card is good financial planning, you're lost. I mean, let me just stop here for a second. See, someone gave you a bad map. Someone said, max out your credit cards, make, the, make, the, make the, the minimum payment, get the cash flowing, cover your bases, you'll be fine. It's a bad map. And, and you're lost. Uh, if you aren't sure you're saving enough, you could be lost. If the only money you are saving is what's deducted from your paycheck, you, you could be lost. Uh, if you have a financial dream but no plan, you could be lost. If you make more than $60,000 a year and you feel significant financial pressure, you are lost. Now, now, why would I say that? The reason I would say that is because if you make more than $60,000 a year, you are one of the wealthiest people in the world. You're one of the most wealthiest people in the world. And if you're feeling Financial pressure, I want to tell you something, it's artificial. It's an artificial pressure. And I know what you're thinking right now, it ain't artificial. It's real. No, it's artificial because we have created a lifestyle to fit the level of the income. It's an artificial pressure. If you were to, take, if you were to have a conversation with someone from another country and you told them how much you make, they'd say, you make how much? And you feel pressure? Man, if I had that much money, I'd be throwing neighborhood block parties all the time. 
And even people in our own country, some people would say that very same thing. Here's, here's another statement. If you're making financial decisions that you hope your spouse never discovers, you're double lost. If you're making financial decisions you hope the IRS never discovers, you are most definitely lost. Look, here's the deal. We started out, we, we, knew, we knew where we wanted to go with, with, with multiple arenas of our life. And today we're just speaking about our, our finances. You knew where you were, you knew where you wanted to, to, to be, but somewhere along the way, because of pressure, because you know, there's, there was fog, and where there's fog, there's pressure, and where there's pressure, there's conflict, and where there's financial uh, implications involved, there's relational loss, perhaps even ethical loss. You're making decisions you never thought you would make. And you, you got lost. And, and, and we, we, have to, we have to talk about this, this subject. We, we gotta talk about our, our, our finances. And maybe you're here today and you came to church and you thought, I'm gonna check out this church called Sam Alliance. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see what, 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 who God is. Maybe I'm seeking after, and you're going, I knew it. I knew it's all the church talks about is money. I, th- this confirms everything I thought about the church. Or maybe you're here today and uh, you, you, you found out we were gonna talk about money and something inside you just groaned. You're like, oh man, how many weeks is this, this series gonna be? How many weekends am I gonna have to skip? I just, it feels like we're mixing two things that should not be mixed, money and church. That's, that's somehow, that's, that, sometimes that's what we, we feel. There's this internal alarm that goes off when a pastor starts talking about money. We make sure our wallet is close, we pull our purses in close. Um, why is that? Why, why, is, why would we talk about money? Here's why. Because Jesus talked about money than he did any other thing. He talked more about money, more about handling our resources than any other topic. He talked a lot about prayer. But he talked more about our resources than prayer. He talked about heaven and hell. But he talked way more about stewarding resources than heaven and hell. He talked about salvation, about what it takes to, to be in friendship with the Father. But he talked more about money than he did salvation. In fact, if you haven't figured out already, he talked more about handling our resources than prayer, heaven and hell, and salvation combined. Jesus gave more ink to this topic of our resources than he did all those things combined. Why would we talk about money? Because Jesus spent so much time talking about it. And let me just say this to you. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and stay lost financially. Let me say it again. You cannot... You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and stay lost financially. Money is a spiritual issue. So, so why did Jesus spend so much time talking about it? I, I want to give you two reasons why he, he gave so much voice to it, gave so much ink to this whole topic of, of our resources. Two reasons, then I'm going to give us some homework. Two reasons why he, he spent so much time talking about money, and then what we're gonna do at the end is we're gonna, we're gonna give some homework, we're gonna allow you sort of pull your van over to the side of the road and assess where you are to find out if you're lost or you're getting lost when, in regards 
uh, to, your, to your personal finances. To, to discover why Jesus talks so much about this. So here, here's where we're gonna begin. Just gonna put a phrase up here, leave a blank. Some of you already know the answer here. You cannot serve both God and blank. And I think if you were to, to look and what we're finding out here is what's God's chief competition for our friendship, for our relationship with him? What's the opposite of serving God? I put it to you that way. What is the opposite of serving God? And some might think, well, it's, it's gotta be the devil. You can't serve both God and the devil. That's the opposite of serving God. But the reality is that the opposite, opposite of serving God is not serving somebody. The opposite of serving God is something. Because the blank needs to be filled with money. You cannot serve both God and money. And we get this straight from Luke chapter 16. Luke 16, listen to the strong language in this verse. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we'll just leave that verse up here for a moment. See the strong language? You're gonna, if, you've got to, if you're trying to serve two masters, you are going to hate one and love the other. And the last line here, it does not say that, you know, for the diligent, disciplined person who's really good with money, they can, they can do it. They can pull it off. It doesn't say that the person with, you know, with the, with, with the high IQ, they can pull it off, but the rest of us can't. No, it says nobody Nobody, you cannot serve both God and money. And the point of what Jesus is saying, here's the first reason why Jesus spent so much time talking about our, the handling of our resources. It's because our stuff is the chief competitor for our time, our attention, and our hearts. Our stuff is the number one competitor in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's why Jesus would spend so much time speaking on this topic of our personal finances. And here's the second reason why Jesus spent a bunch of time on it. We get it from Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That last sentence there is, is, is a principle. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a principle. You breathe, birds fly, your heart follows your money. This was painfully evident for me uh, several years ago. M many of you know that I, I used to work for United Parcel Service. I did that um, in, in the 80s or into the early 90s. And um, I, I, I left UPS. In, in the first church I went to, uh, UPS decided to go public with their stock. It used to be that stock was just given to, to management and the company as incentive. Um, but in the, in, the, in the late 90s, UPS decided to, to offer their stock publicly. Now, as a, as a previous employee of UPS, knowing that the, the company was run very well, um, when I heard the stock was going public, I, I, want, I wanted to invest in it because I thought that that'd be a great investment. I didn't have t tons of money, but, but when, when the stock was offered the very first day, I bought 
and I bought high. And I bought, and I don't think Trina knew, because um, I was getting lost. And I, I bought high, and the next days and weeks, the stock was going low. Um, and, um, and I found that so much of my attention, I was checking every day to see how these three little letters, these, this little ticker symbol uh, was doing. And I'd be sitting in my office, supposed to be doing work, and I, my attention was going to how this stock was performing. It was consuming my mind. And finally, I just had to get rid of it at a loss because it, it was absorbing my, my thoughts and my time and my attention because... My heart followed my money. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to invest. It's a good thing to invest and to do it, do it wisely. But you, you need to understand that wherever your money goes, your heart will also go. I was talking to someone a, a couple months ago. It was, it was shortly after our, our series in Reach. We talked about global missions. And this guy was just being honest with me. Just saying, you know what, I... I know we're all about neighborhoods and nations, and I'm, I'm really about neighborhood and the whole nations thing. I, I just don't get that. It's really not a big, big thing to me. And uh, I said, well, that, you know, that's kind of a problem, kind of a big thing to God. Um, and he said, I just, yeah, I'm just not into it. I said, well, here's the way you can get into it. He's like, what? Start giving to an international worker. Start supporting an individual international worker. Start giving to mission. He's like, what, you're not listening to me. I'm not, I'm not into it. I, I, I don't really care about it. I said, I know. But as soon as you start giving to an international worker, you'll start caring because your heart follows your money. You won't delete newsletters. You'll read them because you care suddenly. It, it's a principle that your heart follows your money. This is the second reason why Jesus talks so much about it. The first reason he talked about it was simply because our stuff is the chief competitor for our heart, our relationship with Christ. And the second principle is that wherever our stuff goes, wherever our money goes, we go. That's, that's where our heart goes. And so he had to talk about money because he wanted to make sure that our heart didn't go after stuff, that our heart went after him. And interestingly enough, you will note if you read through the Gospels, there's not one time where Jesus asked for money. There's not one time where Jesus said, okay, we're gonna take an offering. Jesus never, he never asked for people's money. Now there, there's one, one story that has Jesus asking for money. He's asked a trick question, should, should the people pay taxes to, to Rome? And Jesus asked if there's anyone in the, in the, in the, uh, around him that has a coin. The coin is given, he looks at the engraving on the coin, sees Caesar's image there, and he says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And the point of that is, the, give, give the money back to Caesar, pay your taxes, his image is on the coin, and his image is on you, so offer your life back to him. That, that was the point he was making there. But he gave the coin back. You see, Jesus was never interested in getting people's money. What he was interested in is making sure that people's money didn't get them. And that's why he talked about it so much. That, that's, that's why he, he spent so much time speaking of, of finances. And, and again, I just, I just want to say, as we begin this series what we're calling In God We Trust, as we talk about finances, I, I just want to tell you something. I, 
I'm not, let me put it this way. This may sound like, you know, when your mom or your dad was going to discipline you and they said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And inside you went, no, it ain't. It's going it's to kill me. That's what it feels like. This, this might sound a little bit like that, but, but it's true. See, as your pastor, I'm not talking about money because we're in some financial crisis. In fact, by God's grace, I wish I had time to tell the full story. We just finished our fiscal year at the end of June, and we were in the black. We, we balanced budget this last year. We're, we're, not, we're not talking about money because there's some crisis we're talking about finances. I'm speaking to you about money not because I want something from you. It's because I want something for you. Something spiritual happens when we, when we find ourselves, when we get back on track when it, comes handling, when it comes to handling our personal finances. Something spiritual happens in us when we trust God with our finances. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. So we have to talk about our personal finances. We have to talk about it because our stuff, our money is the chief competitor in our relationship with God. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and stay lost financially. Let me just put this another way. If you were talking to someone and they said, Man, there's this one guy, he is a jerk. I don't like him. He, he goes to church. I, I can't stand him. He hurt me, and I, I will never forgive him. You, you would probably say, hey, you need to understand something. In the kingdom of heaven, we forgive each other. We reconcile. As best we can, we reconcile with one another. You, you, you need to work towards forgiveness because that, that's how we do things here. We forgive one another. Relationship may not be the same. It may be only need it can maybe only reconcile to a certain level, but we need to forgive because that's how we do it here. We can't take forgiveness and shelve it. Or maybe you're talking to someone, maybe someone is single and they they say they're a Christ follower, but they're sleeping around a lot. They're 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 in a different bed. I mean, I mean, several times a month, and they call themselves a Christ follower. And if you were talking to that single person, you would say, "Hey, wait a minute. Jesus talked a lot about sexuality, and you you just can't." You can't shelve what the scriptures teach about sexuality. Or maybe you're, you, you talk to someone who's married and you discover they have, there's multiple extramarital affairs. And it's, you know, it's, I'm a Christ follower, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, we, we, can't, we can't shelve Jesus' teaching on adultery and call ourselves a Christ follower. So why, why could we, why would we take the biggest percentage of what Jesus talked about it Put it over here and say, I'm surrendering my life to Christ, but we're just, I'm just not that part. I'll come to church and I'll sing your will, your way, always. That just gives me joy, but just don't talk about my money. You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and stay lost financially. Money is a spiritual issue. So, let's get to the homework. Because here's what we need to do. We need to pull the van over to the side of the road and find out where we are. Some of you know you're lost. Some of you think, I'm great, but you're getting lost. So here's your homework. It's gonna come from Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, there is extra in the house of the wise, 
but fools devour whatever they get. Let me just say this to you. Our culture is discipling up a generation of fools. Just put it bluntly. Our culture is, is discipling a generation of fools saying, spend, 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 spend all your stuff, and then if you, if you, if you can't afford it, borrow so you can devour more. That, that is, that's the, the discipling message of our culture. They're discipling us to be, to be fools, but there is extra in the house of the wise, meaning in the house of the wise, they don't devour everything they have. They've got mar- they set aside some of their income for margin. So here's your homework. What I'd like you to do this week, now if you're single, this is, what you, this is what you do. Sit down somewhere and get a calculator or a piece of paper and a pencil and, and, and calculate how much money you got coming in. And by the way, there shouldn't be any mystery to that. Okay? There's no mystery to that. There's, you know, we get lost relationally. There's some mystery. There's mystery to, in love. But with our finances, it's hard data. How much money is coming in after taxes? And then calculate how much you're spending. Now, don't, don't count giving or, or, or saving. Just, just how much are you consuming? How much of your income are you devouring? Put it that way. And arrive at a, at a, at a percentage. If you're married, marry couples, husbands and wives, at the dinner table, go out for coffee, do something, and, and, and track how much money is coming in the door. And then... Find out the percentage of your income that you are consuming after taxes. And, 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 and it don't count what you give or what you're saving. That, that's, that's in that margin area. And just simply determine a percentage of what you are consuming of your income. Now, right away, people have already asked me, well, what, what, what percentage should I be at? You know, that, that's something you're going to have to figure out. But here's my thinking on it. If you're serious about tithing, and, and we'll talk about that in the series, I mean, that's, that's 10%. And anyone will tell you that at minimum, you should be shooting for somewhere around 10% in savings. That's, that's some of the extra. That's some of the margin. So I, I would say the highest you'd want to be is 80%. And you, you'd, want, you'd want to be somewhere below, below 80%. It just I mean, if you're serious about giving and you're serious about saving. Um, that, that'd be the highest. But don't worry about, you know, oh my goodness, I'm over 80% or, you know, I'm, I'm 103%. Just, just find out. Find out where you're at. Pull the car over. How much of your income are you consuming? So you can find out how lost you are with your finances. What you might find out is, wow, uh, I, I, I felt like we were doing the right thing. I, man, praise God, I, I think we're in the house of the wise. You might be very encouraged. Or you might go, we've been working on a bad map. And we're going to talk in the weeks to come about how to get unlost, how to, how to, how to obey Christ in the, in the commands he has in handling our finances because money is a spiritual issue. It's the number one competitor in our relationship with Christ. And our hearts follow our money. And if we're serious about being Christ followers, our mission statement says we exist to exalt Jesus Christ, to become his fully devoted followers, and share his grace and truth with all people. If we're serious about that mission and we own it personally, 
then we can't ignore the biggest percentage of what Jesus talked about. We can't ignore his teaching, his instruction on how to handle our finances. Money is a spiritual issue.